And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Here it is. It all started here. It was all made possible by what happened here on that night 2,000 years ago. It all happened on this dirty little planet that we call Earth, didn't it? Thank God for this story that never grows old. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We heard a lot from Luke here just a moment ago. But it's that time of the year, and the kids have reminded us of that and been blessed by that. But we're going to look for a few minutes anyway at the story that never grows old. You've heard it before. I hope it's not old hat to you. I hope we have not become apathetic toward it. It's a great, great story, and it's found here in mainly Luke 1 and 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 26 of Luke and read down through verse 37. It says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We're going to take a look at this as we talk about the story that never grows old. Let's pray first. Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless these next few moments in thy word. And help us now to open our hearts to the gospel and our imagination to what it even would have been like back then, 2,000 years ago. And may we put ourselves in the setting and, and empathize and sympathize and, and feel what they went through in some way. And I just pray that you would help us to look at it in a new light. May it mean more to us than it has in the past. We pray now all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several months ago, in fact, back in October, I was at a preacher's meeting. I ran into a young man, probably in his, oh, I say early to mid-20s, I'd known him since the time he was a baby. I went to Bible college with his, his dad. And it was neat to see him all grown up. And, and I said, tell me uh, about what's been going on in your life and how you came to know Christ. And so he gave me his testimony. And I believe he came to know the Lord at about 10, 12, something like that. 
And I said, well, what then? And he said, well, pastor, he said, I kind of detoured from the Lord. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, there were some things that I just thought I was missing. And and he said, you know, I I couldn't wait to get them. But he he said, when I got them, I I found out that they didn't bring me any happiness. And it's a good thing to learn that at a at an early age, is it not? He said, I, I wanted forever to, to get a cell phone. I got a cell phone. He said, it, it, it was no big deal. I wanted to text like everybody was texting. And he said, I got it. And I, I began to text and text and text. And he said, pretty soon, it became pretty lame. He said, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And I got my driver's license. And, and that became no big deal. I got my own vehicle. And, and well, that kind of wore out. And I got on Facebook and I did that thing. And and he said that got old. And he said, you know what, Pastor? He said, what I have come to learn is that it doesn't really matter what it is. It it gets old in time. And that's true. The things in this world, they they get kind of old. You know, I like Big Macs, but uh, if I ate them for two weeks solid, wouldn't that get a little bit old? And and I like Papa Murphy's pizza. But if I ate it continually for weeks on end, it, it would get pretty lame, as they say, as well. It really doesn't matter what it is, it gets old in time. But there is one thing that I have found that never gets old. And it's a story, I call it, that never gets old. The story of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've, We've heard it a number of times, but like the Apostle Peter said, we need to be put in remembrance of these things, though we know them. And we know them. But oh, there's something about reflecting upon it once again that that stirs maybe some dying embers of the heart, spiritually speaking, and and kind of does something for us. And so we're going to look at it here and thank God for it, but let's back up a little bit. As we look at the story that never grows old, I want you to see, first of all, the angels. The angels. Back up in chapter 1 here to verse 5, if you would, where it tells us, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord." And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him, notice, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. We find here in the Bible an angel mentioned. We see here, first of all, the angel. And there's angels all over the nativity scene. There's there's angels all over the story that never grows old. What are angels? Well, we're told in Hebrews 1, we won't turn there, but verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? In other words, those who are going to come to Christ. The Bible does teach something called guardian angels. And it mentions here that angels are ministering spirits. We find them throughout the Bible ministering. We find an Egyptian gal by the name of Hagar out there in the desert, and she's dehydrated, she's thirsty, she's going to die, and so is her son Ishmael. But an angel shows up and gives him water. It was about at that same time that Abraham and, and Sarah, his wife, couldn't have a child, and it was an angel that showed up. 
and told them they would have that child. Later on, about a dozen, 13, 14 years later, we find out that Abraham is told to go and, and offer up Isaac, that, that child of promise. And he had that knife raised in the air, ready to plunge into the breast of his precious son, and an angel showed up. I kind of picture him grabbing his arm and wrestling him and saying, it's not necessary. Uh, you, you fear God, and uh, may God bless you for that. But it was an angel who showed up to the parents of Samson in Judges 13 and, and said, you're going to have a, a child even though you're old. It was an angel who showed up to that backslidden prophet Balaam and, and rebuked him for his carnality. And so they're ministering spirits. We find them throughout the Bible. In fact, we find it was an angel that showed up to Philip. While Philip was in Samaria and Philip was ministering there and, and a revival was breaking out and folks were coming to Christ, an angel showed up in Acts chapter 8, and in verse 26, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And actually, he sent him to a, an African man, an Ethiopian man, and he said, Take the gospel into Africa. And so, we find these angels throughout the Bible, and they're ministering spirits, and you can't see them. They are actually spirits, unless they choose to take on the form of a man. And sorry, ladies... You know, the world talks about angels being women, but in the Bible, they're actually men. And so we find out that they can take on human form, and, and there are dozens of stories in the Bible about angels, but we know this about them. They're very busy, very busy. And we find out in verse number 13, this angel tells Zachariah, don't fear, fear not. You're going to have a son. I know what you've been praying about. It doesn't tell us he'd been praying about that, but God opens the door and let us see that the secret desire of Zacharias and Elizabeth was for a child. The angel says, you're going to have this child, John the Baptist. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost from, from the womb, and he's going to turn many of the Jewish people to their God, and, and he's going to lead them to Christ. And he's going to go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's going to be that voice crying in the wilderness. He's going to be the forerunner of the Savior of the world. Well, Zacharias said, this can't be. I'm, I'm an old guy, and, and my wife's an old gal, and I just don't see this happening. And, and the angel slightly rebukes him for that skepticism and says, because you don't believe, you're going to be a mute, and you're not going to be able to speak until after the birth. And sure enough, he comes out of the temple there, and he, he's motioning, and, and he can't talk, and the people are going, wow, what's going on here? I mean, it had been 400 years since they had really heard from heaven. And between Malachi and Matthew, nothing was going on the intertestamental period there. And so now something's happening here, and the people are excited. And we find out that after John the Baptist was born, that Zechariah got his voice back. But, but we find it was an angel who showed up and gave the news to Zechariah. But the angel, who was Gabriel in this case, was not, he was not done. Angels are busy, ministering spirits. And we find out that six months later, as we turn the page, Gabriel makes another appearance. Now, Gabriel is, in the Bible, especially a messenger to the people of God, the, the Jewish people, Israel. And in verse 26 of Luke 1, we read it a moment ago, it says, And the angel came in unto her, this time it's Mary, and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she, Mary, saw him, the angel, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. In other words, what's he talking about? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now we find out in verse number 27, she was a virgin espoused to a man whose name was 
Joseph. That means she was engaged. You see, back in that culture, that, that Middle East culture back in the first century there, if somebody was espoused to somebody, that means they were promised to them. And sometimes they were prearranged. You know, I'm, I'm all for parental involvement in helping our kids get to the altar, but back then, <laughs> they arranged who you're going to marry. It's believed by many Joseph was much older than Mary. Mary probably just a little a Jewish girl of, of, of 17 perhaps, 18 at the most. And we find out they were espoused together. That was something the Jewish people took very seriously. They went to the synagogue to register. This espousal period took place for about a year. The rabbi there signed it and sealed it. It was official there. It was a permanent contract. Now, today, you know, we get engaged and we we buy rings, engagement rings, and we set dates, but sometimes the wedding doesn't take place. And, and like me, maybe you know of a couple that, that called off a wedding. But if you did that then, it had to take place by nothing less than a, a divorce, we'd have to call it. It was a very binding thing. It was a very tight relationship. And so we find the angel here announcing it to Zechariah and announcing it to Mary. We see, first of all, the angels, but secondly, we see the announcement. The announcement. Pick it up in verse number 30 of chapter 1, if you would. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now notice, first of all, in verse number 34, Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? We don't need to spell it out here. We know what she was talking about. She was a virgin. It's impossible for a virgin to conceive. But earlier today, we looked at that prophecy in Isaiah 7.14, our memory verse for this week, and, and something the prophet told this, this carnal king 700 years earlier that this was going to happen. He said here in verse 30, the angel said, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. Evidently, Mary was somebody God had been watching for some time and chose to use her womb to bring his son into this world. In verse number 31, said his name should be called Jesus. Jesus, 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 basically meaning the salvation of Jehovah. That's what Jesus means. And there were perhaps many girls since all these prophecies, over 300 in the Old Testament, were foretelling of this coming Messiah, many young Jewish maidens who were hoping to bring the Messiah into this world. Jesus, the salvation of Jehovah. Notice in verse 32, the angel said, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, meaning the Son of God. Think about this. He's the Son of God, the Son of the Highest. There are those who claim He wasn't the Son of God. There are those who claim, well, others called him the Son of God, but he never called himself the Son of God, but he did in the Gospels. And we've looked at that before. And here the angel calls him the Son of the Highest. Verse 32 also mentions that the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. 
David, hundreds of years earlier, about a thousand years earlier, had been foretold of God that through his lineage and his, his descendants, his line, that the Messiah would come into the world. And so here he is. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. That's a millennial prophecy there yet to happen. It says he shall reign and his kingdom shall have no end, according to verse number 33. Now, how is this possible? How could a virgin conceive and have a child? It's never happened before. It's never happened since. Here's this 17-year-old, maybe 18-year-old girl, and, and she's wondering, how could this be? In fact, she probably hasn't heard any of this. Her ears stop back at verse 31 with that word conceive. Notice, conceive. And here she is now going, wait a minute, wait a minute, conceive? And in a fog, she's trying to figure this thing out here. How could this be? Verse 37, though, the angel says, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Well, notice verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. In other words, she submitted to all this. Now, you and I can read that 2,000 years later and go, Well, of course, what an honor. Uh, we've, we've been, you know, exalting uh, th- what she did for years. But can you imagine the scandal that this would cause? The scuttlebutt of this virgin who's a spouse to this, this older carpenter all of a sudden being with child? And it's not Joseph's? I mean, imagine the shame during engagement there to get pregnant. Now, this was Nazareth. It, it was a town with kind of a bad name anyway, wrong side of the tracks, if you will, and a little town at that. I've been in Nazareth. It's not a big town even yet today. But back then, maybe it was a couple hundred people. You know, I graduated from a town where there were about 200 people, you know, just a fraction of what we'd have here tonight. Imagine if, if word got around in a town like, like that, back in those days when it was scandalous, I mean, the shame, the reproach. It could be even a bigger town of several thousand, but, but it, it would be a thing that people would talk about behind your back and whisper and point and all of that, and maybe the stories would be concocted about how she had spent this night with uh, oh, this Roman soldier. That's how it really happened. This, this Hessian. You know, there's, there's an infidel, or was, by the name of Nels Farrar, a German rationalist, who, who didn't believe in the virgin birth, and that's his theory. It was a, a, a German, blue-eyed, a blonde-haired German soldier that impregnated Mary. And that's why you see some pictures even of Christ not looking at all like a dark-haired, dark-eyed Jew, but, but a light-haired, blue-eyed, perhaps a, a, a German. It, it comes from the, the, the rationalism that, that Christ was born illegitimate. Well, under today's circumstances, you might say that Mary might have even had grounds for an abortion. Imagine if Christ had been aborted. Think about it. But in Matthew chapter 1, and we won't turn there, the Bible tells us that Joseph, being a just man, didn't want to make a public example of her. In other words, didn't want her stoned to death. That's what he could have had done. Of course, he knows nothing about what we read a moment ago. Put yourself in his sandals. He thinks his, his spouse bride has been now unfaithful to him. So he's going to put her away quietly, just, just divorce her there. You know, you've got to be awfully proud of, of Joseph for following through on it. He was told of the angel in a dream, don't worry, this is all of God. And, and we make uh, much of Mary today, and we talk a lot about Mary, but, but three cheers for Joseph. Let's give him some credit here. He obeyed, and, and he submitted. So we see the angels, we see the announcement. Thirdly, let's take a look at the arrival. As we get over to chapter 2, we read about this arrival in verse 1. It says, 
And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. In other words, nine months along. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, she had others later. They're named in the Bible. But this is her firstborn, and he is virgin-born. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here it is. It's actually a scary scene. Nine months later, she's to give birth. We find out that the, uh, the setting is not a hospital. It's not a sanitized room. There are not instruments that have been boiled. There, there is none of that stuff. It's as filthy as a corral could be or a, a barn or wherever animals live. We know there's going to be manure, uh, there's going to be urine, there's going to be cobwebs wherever you find animals like this. And the birthing pains begin here. And here's Mary and she's writhing in agony. And she's totally unassisted. There's nobody there to help her except Joseph. Joseph has not delivered anything in his life. If he'd have been a shepherd, that might have been one thing or a cattleman or something along those lines. But he was a carpenter. And he'd never seen this process before. So there he is doing the best that he can, maybe uh, taking the saddlebag off the donkey and, and putting it a, as a pillow. And, and here's Mary moaning in the darkness and crying out for some kind of help here. And, and, and here's Joseph. Uh, finally, the baby is born. Thank God everything went okay. I've, I've witnessed this process five times. It's very miraculous. Don't tell me that we evolved. If you've ever uh, partaken in a birth, you know that there was design and creation and intelligence behind this. And so here's the Christ child born into this world. Here's Joseph with nothing but maybe his, uh, his carpenter's knife. The umbilical cord is cut. He tries to, to wipe off the baby best he can and clean it up and, and place some kind of a, a blanket or maybe his mantle or his tunic in this, this manger, which is basically a hewn out rock of limestone and and he puts that in there, and, and here's these two all by themselves ushering in the Son of God into this world. No friends there. No family there. Where's the family? Well, you've got to remember how scandalous this was. You don't find the mother of Mary there, or, or anyone else there. It's like, you guys are on your own here. There's not even a midwife there. There is nobody to assist them there. Here's Joseph, and he's all thumbs. And uh, he's dealing with placentas and umbilical cords and, and, and embryonic sac fluid and, and uh, all kinds of stuff that you learn if you're a dad and, and, and what breach is all about. And, and he's trying to do the best he can. And thankfully, this child arrives into the world safely and everything's okay. It's okay. And all of a sudden, in the darkness there, this little voice cries out. The voice of God on the earth in human form. Here is God, according to John 1.1, which tells us in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on, it tells us that all things were made by Him, the very rock that was hewn out as His manger. The Son of God had spoken that into existence at one time. Without Him, there was not anything made that was made. What a moment. There in Bethlehem. We don't know the setting exactly. I've been to the Holy Land. 
They have a place there, the, the Church of the Nativity, that's in this particular location there on the outskirts of Bethlehem. They tell us in those days Bethlehem was a small town of, of an area, maybe one acre, the size of a football field. And uh, whether this is the spot or not, we don't know. But they tell us that uh, the mother of Constantine, who claimed to be a Christian herself, actually built a church over it around uh, 325, 350 A.D., and inside this church, you go down the basement and, and there's this cave and you go to the inner part of it and they say, this is perhaps where it took place. But we don't know that for sure. We just know it wasn't a uh, place that would, would lend itself to a birth like this. Now notice in verse number 8, it tells us, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now we have the shepherds. What do shepherds do? Shepherds talk. Shepherd stuff, okay? <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Let me, let me tell you about Fluffy, you know, how she got caught in the fence today and, 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 and Dolly wandered off and Whitey went that, you know, and they're talking shepherd talk like shepherds do. And, and they're watching these lambs, which ironically are, are Passover lambs. You know, maybe a picture of the future of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Christ is our Passover and nearby, here's these lambs. Notice in verse number 9, there they are just talking shepherd talk. It says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Notice the word angel does not have an S on it there. Just one angel. One angel at this point at least. Maybe to kind of lighten the uh, shock factor here. I mean, how would you feel if you're just talking shepherd talk in pitch black darkness and all of a sudden, an angel shows up. So God kind of wades them into this thing. In verse number 9, it says, And lo, notice the word lo, means to behold or, or to see. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Now, in the pictures, we always see this, you know, this angel shining, kind of radioactive and this light streaming from him. But it doesn't say that. In verse 9, it says, The glory of the Lord shone round about him. The light didn't come from the angel. The light came from heaven. It came from God. The glory of God was lighting the scene and kind of as a backlight behind the angel, they see this silhouette. This silhouette of what looked like a man. Verse 9 says, And they were sore afraid, or so afraid. Well, verse 10 says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy, which should be to all the people. There is good news. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Notice we see several things covered here. For unto you, there's the who, is born this day, here's the when, in the city of David, the where, uh, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Who, what, when, where? Christ means the Anointed One. It means the Messiah. It, it's Yahweh here, literally, the Promised One. And we find a very, very magnificent moment here. The first ones to hear the great tidings, the greatest news ever told, it was not Caesar sitting back there in Rome, that loser 700 miles away uh, thinking he's God. It wasn't King Herod uh, sitting in his palace. It wasn't some magi. It wasn't the high priest. It wasn't some rabbi. It wasn't the governor. It was lowly shepherds. These shepherds. Very low in the caste system there. You need to understand something about shepherds in those days. If you became a shepherd, it's kind of like, well, I can't do anything else. I'll, I guess I'll be a shepherd. 
It, it was kind of like uh, no little kid said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a shepherd. That was something that uh, if you were illiterate, you never learned to read, and, and you really couldn't do anything else, you could be a shepherd, kind of the end of the road. And yet, it was these shepherds who God chose to be the first missionaries and take the good tidings to the world. Notice in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. There, now the rest of them show up, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. You know, the angels don't tell them what to do. Nobody had to tell them what to do. They knew what to do. This is the greatest news ever. Everything else was insignificant to this. As was mentioned earlier today, they even left their sheep behind here. This was great. It trumped everything. It eclipsed everything. It zenithed everything. We find out that the, the greatest news that could be told had to be shared. And, and you know, really, it's the same way today. Everything else is insignificant when it comes to the things of God. Santa Claus is very insignificant when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, a lot about the elections you're hearing even this early on in the, the stage of things. Who cares? Who really cares compared to this? Uh, who cares about the Super Bowl compared to this? Or, or the World Series, for that matter? Or what the NBA or the NFL or, or CBS or ABC or NBC or any, any one of the rest of them are saying? This is better. This is more important. Now, here's these simple shepherds. And in verse 16, it says, And they came with haste. That means they ran. I always picture one as kind of chubby and huffing and puffing and coming in last. And, but they came with haste, the Bible tells us in verse 16, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They, they, they walk in on a very, very simple scene. Now, forget the nativity scenes that you have in your mind where there's gold and there's jewels and there's trinkets and all that stuff. This was very, very simple. Here's what they walked in on. They walked in on a smelly, dirty, messy place. They walked in on this uh, bewildered woman. Uh, they walked in on this, this confused husband. This couple here, and, and they're beside themselves trying to put everything together here. It, it's a state of confusion. We don't read of any conversation at all that took place here. All we know is in the dark there, these shepherds met up with this young couple out there cradling this, this little baby. Maybe, maybe just staring at this baby going, what is going on? And by the way, there's no joy like the joy of new parents looking at their newborn baby going, wow. Whenever one of ours was born, I mean, my wife and I just stared and, and we stared and and when it came time for bed, we laid the little guy on the pillow and we stared some more and we laid down beside it and we stared some more. And uh, it's just like, can you imagine them just looking at this child with awe and wonder? And here's these shepherds. How did they know about this? Where'd they come from? But they're here. And I just think, nothing is mentioned here, but I just think there was this, this sense and presence of this overwhelming joy. What a night. We see the angels, we see the announcement, we see the arrival, but finally, what's the application of all of this for us? Notice in verse number 17, it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They left, and uh, verse 
Verse 18 says, And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Notice, it wasn't the messengers of the king who, who trumpeted and heralded out this announcement whatsoever. It wasn't any of that. The, the job of heralding the great news was given to these lowly shepherds. These, these nobodies in the caste system. These guys who took up an occupation, well, because it was the end of the line. And they couldn't do anything else as a vocation, so they were shepherds. Here's the application. You say, I don't really have anything much going for me. I, I, I'm not gifted in any way. You don't feel gifted at least. But you know, if God can use the shepherds, God can use us. We sing a song around here, little as much when God is in it. We don't have to be much. We don't have to be anything. But it's interesting how God uses the little things. And He bypasses the haughty and the mighty and the proud. And at this time in history, you were born for such a time as this. You're a child of God. God can use you. God has saved you for this time in history. Now notice verse 19. It says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This isn't the only place you find this. In fact, you would think that, you know, Mary is solid as a rock and, and, and has unshakable faith. We don't find that in the Bible at all. We find several places to where she's like scratching her head going, what is going on here? And she's pondering these things in her heart. In fact, she in, the, in this snapshot here of her life is saying, how could this be? I, I don't get it. You know, there are those today who exalt her to be a deity and ascending up into heaven and, and call her the, the mother of God. and everything. No, she wasn't the mother of God. God borrowed her human womb here to bring His Son into this world. And the Holy Spirit took and He placed that seed in her womb, virgin womb. I don't know what that felt like in her womb, but, but God bypassed the normal channel of, of a child being conceived so that Christ could be conceived sinless. He could be conceived sinless. No contamination was passed on through His Father. You know, I have, I have wonderful parents. I, I, I trust you had fine parents. But my parents were sinners. And they passed on to me the sin nature. And guess what? I passed it on to my kids. Oh, did I pass it on to my kids. You know what I mean by that? But Jesus Christ never had an earthly dad. God was His Father. And the conception was, was through God. That virgin birth, it's so important. That Christ was sinless because we need a sinless Savior, do we not? Now, this story here is, is not just the story of a baby born who uh, grew up to be a, a martyr who died for a good cause. Now, there are lots of stories like that. This is beyond that. This is the Son of God coming to this earth, shedding His blood, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, no remission of sin, paying the price for our sin on Calvary's cross, and enabling us to accept what He did on that cross as the full and complete payment for our sins. There are a lot of people in this world trying to work their way to heaven. Most people are trying to work their way to heaven. For that reason, we find Christ telling us that when Judgment Day comes, there will be many who say, but Lord, we did this, and we did that, and we did the other thing. And Christ will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They die lost. They go out into a Christless eternity. They go out into the lake of fire that the Bible calls hell. They were never born again. 
maybe moral, maybe religious, maybe church-going, maybe baptized as an infant, maybe confirmed as a seventh grader, but never born again the Bible way. Have you had a time in your life when you realize your good works won't get you to heaven? That it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy that He saves us. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm quoting Scripture. The bottom line is the Bible teaches we cannot work our way to heaven. It is the gift of God. And if you could work your way to heaven, why did Jesus Christ come and suffer and bleed and die in agony, swinging on the nails of Calvary and go through all that if you could turn around and earn it? It just doesn't click, does it? Have you had a time in your life when you realized you were lost, a sinner, on the road to hell, and deserving of everlasting fire? But in repentance, you were willing to turn from that sin, and in faith, you placed all your trust in what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross to save you, and you were born again the Bible way. It all started here. It was all made possible by what happened here on that night 2,000 years ago. It all happened on this dirty little planet that we call Earth, didn't it? And what a night it was. The, the King of Heaven stepped off His throne and He came down to this earth and He took on flesh. The application, well, what does it mean to you? Are you just going to let another Christmas go by where you really don't know the Lord? He's kind of like an imaginary friend. He's the big guy upstairs. He's the man in the sky, but He's not your personal Savior. You can sing the Christmas songs. You can talk about the Christmas story. And you can go from one Christmas to the next, gospel-hardened, never having been born again the Bible way. Well, if you've never been saved, this is the time to be saved. I can't think of a, a more wonderful time of the year to make Christ your Lord and your Savior. And I invite you to do that. I'm not saying there will be thunder, there will be lightning, there will be a wind that rushes through the room. None of that. But you can know, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven. As you hear this story that you've heard before, but it's one that never grows old, God would touch your heart to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior by grace through faith. Thank God for this story that never grows old. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.